0: We are in week three of Messy Church, and uh, today we're going we're gonna, to, we've got this week and next week, and this week I'm going to talk about, I want to talk about your story. Some of you may be going, let's not go there. <laughs> I'd rather not talk about my story. I'd rather, there, there be no conversation about it, but I want you to understand something, that there is power in what you've walked through. Amen. There's power in what God is leading you through in your life and the decisions and the opportunities and the choices that are laid before you and how we handle those. And your story holds so much weight in the movement of God in your life. And so this week, I want to talk about your story. Next week, we're going to end with just the simple topic of invite. Now, this isn't a, a ploy, and you'll understand as we get to the end of this message really what I mean by invitation, and we're going to dive into it next Sunday. But invitation, I think when we hear pastors and when we hear churches uh, uh, talk about it a lot of times, it's, it's, you know, hey, take these cards and pass them out to your neighbors and friends and get really awkward and, and, you know, knock on the door and say, do you know my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And is there a better way to invite people into this life that we live with Jesus than the sales pitch that we have made it. So I'm getting ahead of myself. We're gonna. That's next week. This week, I want to encourage you today on the power of your story. the The messy church doesn't listen. The messy church doesn't try to be professional, but uh, but purposeful. we there's a so we're gonna strive for excellence. Amen. Okay, that is what the Bible says. But we're not gonna put professionalism over purpose. Well, you can't get on this stage unless you have it all together. You can't get get on this stage unless you know how to uh, speak without saying um or like. Filler words. Oh, you you can't be on the worship team unless you've gone through a strenuous uh, uh, tryout where, where you didn't hit one wrong note, which by the way, I wouldn't be able to play on the worship team. A lot of churches treat church more like a business than a place where people can grow in Christ and become family. So unless you can be at this level, don't ever ask to be involved. And what happens is, is we have asked, we have, we have told a lot of really great people with a really great story that they're not good enough yet to serve the kingdom of God. And can I tell you that was like, you can't find that. There are places in the Bible where it's literally, hey, come and follow in your mess. Come and follow me in your struggles. Come and follow me. Now, listen, uh, there's a whole dynamic of leadership. And when, as you raise into leadership, there's a standard that gets raised up within you. But to be used by God, to use your story and to know that your story has power. The messy church does not try to act super professional, but we will always chase the purpose of God first. Last week, we talked about how Table Fellowship grew the church in the first three centuries, the first 300 years of the, of the New Testament church from a handful of people, 120 people, to over half the Roman Empire in less than 300 years. That's amazing. Amazing. Millions of followers in the Roman Empire in 300 years from 120. But did you know, and maybe some of you do, that during that same time, that the church is exploding, not through mega church pastors, not through uh, sound and lights and, and haze machines and, and, and perfectly timed uh, crescendos of choruses of holy, holy. And you're like, oh, I feel it. The presence of God is here. No, you feel goosebumps. And listen, we can, we can create an emotion that is not Jesus. How many know? I mean, think about it go to a concert that has nothing to do with God, go go on YouTube and Google Michael Jackson arriving at arenas. And you will notice throngs of people raising their hands, just trying to touch him. Females passing out. (laughs) Just because he might have looked their way. And we see the same thing through history with, with the, the boy band craze and Justin Bieber and then Usher. Some of you, you know, mid-40 people, you freaked out over the, the halftime uh, show, okay? You got up and you were doing all your Usher dances and singing your songs, okay? Um, and, and so we, it's in us, to, first of all, it's in us to want to worship something, okay? That's why music is so powerful, because it's in us to want to worship something. The reality is we were created to worship God and we have, we have falsely given our worship to something else other than God. And, and so that same, that same passion and that same emotion that God has created for us to be attached to something gets attached to the wrong thing. And so, so yes, I believe that worship is emotion full. I believe that God does create emotion, crying and joy and, and peace and but sometimes we listen, the right chords and the right uh, drum beat and, and building, and, and we, can, we can make it feel like something that God is going, I'm not even here yet. Because you're worshiping something that isn't me. And so that's, that's the idea of the church that I don't want the, the, the Roman, the, the beginning church, the first 300 years, they didn't have any of that. And yet they exploded. And we wonder why with all the, all the things that we do have that the church doesn't explode today. Maybe it's because it's not what we do have, it's what we don't. Maybe it's, it's not what we are doing, it's maybe what we stopped doing that the original church understood, which was last week, Table Fellowship. So if you, ha- if you didn't listen to last week's message, I encourage you to go back, listen to that on all of our platforms, right? Spotify, Apple Podcast, the website. But the second part, Your story. So during this whole time where the church is exploding in the Roman Empire, the same time persecution of Christians was tremendous. Hundreds of thousands, if not, they say, maybe even into the millions of followers of Jesus were being killed. During the same season that the church is exploding, there are millions of people dying at the hands of the Roman Empire. Just for loving Jesus. Why? It's because over, uh, there's a plethora of reasons, but one of the main ones is the fact that with them coming to follow Jesus and to follow the way, which is what they were called at the, the early church, as Christians, they said, I put nobody above God, not Caesar. And the problem is, is that in that that political arena, Caesar was a god. Caesar was treated like a god, and he was worshipped like a god. And so if you said, I don't put Caesar above Jesus, there becomes a problem. I want to tell you about one of those in particular stories. Her name is Perpetua. If you've never heard of her, Probably not shocking. She was a, a young female Christian. So once again, just put a pause in that and say, it's interesting when we talk about women in church and women in, 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 in the ways of, of being used by God, and, and yet so many stories go back to how, how purposeful and how used women are throughout the course of history in the church. This young female was well-educated, we know that um, based off of her uh, family history. Uh, Her family was, uh, based off of uh, what they know about her family, was uh, fairly well off. And she was probably the only believer in her family, based off of how her dad treated her. And her dad, when she started to become vocal in her faith, and she was married with 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 a young son, a brand new Son, Now, I want you to stop and I want you to kind of put yourself in this place, especially you ladies, think about this. All that she is putting on the line to be a follower during this season of life. The Roman Empire finds out that her and and, and a group of people that are meeting and growing together in faith, including her slave, which sounds really odd, right? Because of the way that we think of slavery. But it would have been like a, a, a house servant that was her personal house servant. She also came to Christ, and so she was not only uh, uh, worked for her, but but was a, a sister in the faith. And the Roman Empire found out about this group and was going to arrest them. And her dad was begging her, "Will you please stop and think about?" And, and once again, shame culture, right? Think about your family. Think about your husband. Think about your son. And what you're bringing upon them. And she looks at her dad and this is all uh, things that are, uh, she she had a diary that she kept and uh, she says, dad, and she points to a vase in the house and she says, could you call this anything other than what it is? And her dad said, no. She goes, then why should I call myself anything other than what I am? I am a Christian. The Roman Empire arrests her, her, uh, her house servant, and a handful of other uh, Christians, and they throw them in jail. They allow the baby. The baby is also thrown in jail because it was still nursing. And so she's nursing her, her baby in jail and, 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 and all that goes with it, and they give them an opportunity, and, and, and the Caesar, the emperor at that time, um, says, I'm going to give you a chance. It's the whole Nebuchadnezzar all over again i give you a chance to, to denounce your faith and just, just sprinkle a little uh, of this offering on the altar of our gods and, and, and hail Caesar, pretty much. She said, I will not. I am a Christian. Knowing what it would mean if she doesn't. Knowing that her life would be taken if she doesn't. And her and none of her group did that. And so they got thrown back in jail and they got sentenced to death. Now, death sentences back then were not like ours where they try to make it as humane as possible and put just something in your uh, bloodstream that makes you fall asleep and and end your life. The way they tortured Christians in those days were horrendous. They would impale Christians alive on gigantic poles and, and, and cover them in pretty much lighter fluid, and light them for the, for the parties that the emperor would have around the, around the open courts. Your light was the light of the bodies of Christians. They would, they would send them into the arenas to be uh, uh, fought with bears and lions and, and uh, mad bulls. And they would send them in and and fight. Could you imagine having to be uh, this job that you were a gladiator and part of your job was to literally slaughter hundreds of thousands of Christians? Perpetua, she uh, her brother came to visit her in jail and said, um, "Will you please seek God and see what your what 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 the what the purpose is?" She says, "I will, and I know that He will answer me." And she went to bed that night and she had a dream. And her dream, she saw a ladder and she saw her going up the ladder. And at the bottom of the ladder was a dragon, and the dragon was trying to get a hold of her. And she made it to the very top of this ladder, where she was in a garden with a shepherd, and and that shepherd handed her of all things, cheese. And she said that she ate the cheese and it was the best tasting cheese that she ever woke. And when she woke up from the dream, she could still taste the taste of the cheese in her mouth. And she said, I knew when I woke up that I was going to give my life for the cause of Christ. Shortly after that, her and her uh, companions would be marched into the arena. Some of the guys were... uh, They had to face uh, lions, and for her and her house slave, they faced a wild bull. And that wild bull trampled and stomped and uh, hurt them really, really bad, but it did not kill her. So they sent a gladiator in, and it is marked through history that this gladiator pierced her side trying to kill her and couldn't do it. So she grabs the hand of the gladiator and she puts the knife to her throat knowing that this young gladiator couldn't do it and almost saying, it's okay, I know my fate for I am a Christian and this is my story. And the gladiator kills her. Everything she did... She did because she believed so much, not in a system, not in a professional movement of people, but in the purpose of God in her life. And some of us sit here and we say, well, why not just take the easy way out and say, oh yeah, hail Caesar, and then go upon your life and build the church. You, don't you think that the ability to, to sit there and say, my faith is stronger than death itself, that on the other side of death is this beautiful garden that God has shown me. And from that, how many people sit in the arena and hear and see the story of her life? You may be saying, well, I, I don't, have that story, and we don't live in that place. You're right. Thank God we live in a a society that has a little bit more freedom, but um, I will also say, unlike that, probably one of the biggest curses uh, uh, of our faith is we live in a society like that. That the reality is, is that we don't know what it means to truly stand on faith knowing that it could cost us our life. Our brothers and sisters, did you know that still 150,000 Christians on average every year die at the hand of martyrdom every year? Every year. In places like China, the Middle East, India, where people are, churches are burned with people in them. The underground church in Afghanistan, when, when, when all of this went down, uh, they literally had to go hide because the, uh, the, the Taliban and all of that that retook over said, we won't, we won't live with them. And so our brothers and sisters, there are some waking up in, in terror and, and have never had a full Bible in their hand. And yet they have, no, they have no fear or shame of sharing their story because they know what it means for their life to be hunted. And they know what it means to stand on value and purpose and plan of their life to say, if I die for the cause of Christ, then I know that it's for a purpose It's for a plan, and my story will reach many others. Tertullian, who was another person during that Roman time, said this, the blood of the martyrs are the seed of the church. And I think why we don't see churches grow like they did in the New Testament is because we don't have that same Passion in us to know that life and death weighs in the balance of our story of who Jesus is, because it doesn't touch us the way it touches them we 're able to go through our life and we live it kind of uh, just blase we we get a job, we have a family, we go through life, we do our things and but but at the end of the day we go what's my purpose and these people man, they lived when they came to know christ it, it, it was like you better believe that you believe. And know that it's truth because if not, it could cost you your life. (laughs) I think of uh, a pastor that is in India, North India, who I've had the pleasure of knowing for quite some time, George Chavani coming ill. And say that 10 times fast. It took many years for me to learn how to say his last name. Uh, He runs a seminary in North uh, India. Uh, where they are not very friendly to Christians. Uh, over 600 churches have been birthed out of his, out of their seminary, and he would come and he would tell all the stories of some of these uh, pastors that have been persecuted, and and he would say, he goes, listen, I want you to understand that in America, it's tough because I come over here and he preaches every year. He comes over for a couple of months and and does the the traveling tour of of updating everybody, and and he'll say, man, he goes, if I preach the way I preach in India. You guys will want to hurt me because I go too long. But if I preach the way I preach in America and India, they will want to hurt me because I go too short. There's two reasons for that. One, they know what it means to have to be fed by somebody who is, is being taught because maybe they don't have the Bible. Secondly, they don't have the same comforts that we have. So many of these people walk to church. They walk, could you imagine walking an hour just to be preached at for like 30 minutes? You'd be like, open up, brother, you better open up that book and start preaching again. Cause my, my feet are hurting. <laughs> I'm gonna sit here and listen to you talk. Tell me about Jesus, because my feet hurt, and I have to walk another hour home. They understand the value of it. And that's not saying none of you have ever complained, not at least not to me, or on Facebook, about how long I preach, thank God. Um, but this is the reality of America, right? We want our cute little Sunday service. We want three songs, 30 minutes, and get us out the door so we can get to lunch. And the problem is, is that we're lulled to sleep in our faith and lulled to sleep in our personal purpose for Jesus. We go, well, what power do I really have? Your story is so Powerful. How many remember kindergarten show and tell? Yeah, you bring some, maybe they, I don't know, do they do that anymore? Like you bring something and you're like, this is my favorite toy, you know, and and you tell all about it and, and then you just hope that it doesn't get wrecked the whole time there, that somebody doesn't steal it or break it or whatever. Can I tell you that our lives are very similar, but instead of saying show and tell, here's what I want you to hear today out of this message is that I want you to live and tell. I want you to live and tell. Live and tell the glory of God through your life. Live in a way that has purpose, that when people see your life, they know that you live not from a place of I've got to have a career and I've got to do this and I've got to do this, but out of everything, the spring of my life is who Jesus is first. So I've got two points this morning. and The first one is just that. Live your life for Christ. Do you and I live in a way that begs the question Why? Do people look at your life and go, why are they different? I wonder why they make those choices. Why are they so at peace when everything seems? Why are they so joyful when they, they, they probably have had a bad week? Why? why do people look at your life and ask the question why? As we enter the Easter season, may we truly encourage ourselves to ask Do we live with Christ in mind daily and not just Sundays? We live with Christ in mind. Do you wake up in the morning and go, God, give me an opportunity just to tell my story, to invite somebody in to the realness of who you are. Give me an opportunity to be an example, even if it's just an action, that, that people would see my life in a way that honors you. Did his death and resurrection truly change my life, or is it just a cute story that we celebrate twice a year? 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12 says this, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, by the way, we are not of this world, to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. So that's the, that's the charge of what not to do. And then he says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So a couple of things. First of all, he is not throwing shade when he says, live in such a good way that the pagans, okay? Because pagan was just a, it was a title for people that don't, that, that worship Paganism. It was, it was, they they would have, as an honor, they would have been like, I'm pagan. So they wasn't throwing shade. He was saying, listen, don't live in a way that it makes other Christians go, oh, we're so good Christians. Pat on the back. Yay, Jesus. Live in such a way that the pagans, even though they make fun of you, even though they may mock you, even though they may, they may say stuff about you, that they would see that you live in such a way that it honors God and that they would ask the question, Why? That didn't benefit her. Why did did April pay for that person's lunch? That makes no sense. That's that's money out of her her pocket, and and, and she's got her own mouse to feed. Why did she do that? Why why would you stop on the side of the road and help change somebody's tire? It takes your time and and energy and effort. Why would you you give money out of your own pocket for a family to to be able to eat when when we're all struggling? Why? Why? that we would live in such a way that we would honor God with our lives and not just our Sundays. I'll give you another story of a guy named Tony Campalo. He was a, a, a speaker. He was a Christian, but he was also a, a psychologist, and he was, flew from the East Coast to Hawaii to uh, to. Speak at this uh, conference, and he got in really late. I mean, anybody ever had jet lag, right? That's horrible. It's either you're up way late because you don't you can't sleep, or you crash early because you're in a completely different world. So he went and took a nap at his hotel, and he woke up, and now he's he's like wide awake, and it's like midnight, <laughs> and he's in Hawaii. So he goes down to a diner, and it's you know by the time he kind of finds this diner and, and gets you know it's three thirty in the morning, and he's eating a donut. And coffee. And he's sitting there, and it's him and the slimy-like guy running the diner and his wife in the back. And it was a true story. He says at 3.30 in the morning, a group of prostitutes walk in, loud and vulgar and, and talking about their, their night. And he, he said he was, he was about ready to get up because of how vulgar it was. And the girl next to him said, tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. And the girl next to her said, what do you want us to do, throw you a party? She said, I've never had a birthday party. A light bulb went off. The prostitutes left, and he looks at the, the, the guy who's running the diner, and he says, do they come in every night? He goes, 3.30 on the dot, every night. He goes, hey, what would you think about us throwing a birthday party for her? And so... Him and his wife and, and Tony, he, Tony says he goes and buys all the decorations. The, uh, the diner guy's wife makes the cake and he comes in at 2.30 in the morning the next morning and he decorates for it. And they've got the word out to all the street workers. And now the diner is filling up with a bunch of prostitutes. And this girl walks in with her friends at 3.30 on the dot. Happy birthday. It says that she was so stunned that her knees were shaking and weak. And when they brought the cake out and they sang to her and she blew out the candles and the, the, the diner guy was like, come on, hurry up. We want to all eat this cake. And she said, do you mind if we don't? Can I have the cake? And it says that she actually took the cake, left the diner, went to her apartment and put it in the freezer so that she could pull it out and remember the only time anybody had cared enough to throw her a birthday party. While she was going to her apartment and coming back, the diner, the he's, uh, Tony says, he goes, No, it got really silent because she left. They're like, What the heck? So he did what he knew only to do, which was as a pastor and, and communicator, he started praying. So he prays for her, and he, he, you know, could you, listen, this is the reality of your story and of our lives. Here is a man who loves Jesus, surrounded by a bunch of prostitutes in a nasty, sleazy diner in Hawaii, and he goes, I didn't know what else to do, so I started praying. At the end of his prayer, he says, amen, and the diner guy looks at him and goes, if I would have known you were a Christian, I probably wouldn't have done this. And then the diner guy looks at him and says this. What kind of church do you go to? And he goes, the type of church that wants to throw parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. That doesn't just look for the cute moments to, to speak of Jesus or to, to, to get our church's name out, but to do the things that maybe everybody else would be ashamed or feel is awkward or for, feel is outside of the realms of modern church to do because the hurt and the loss are who Jesus came for. for. Jesus said it, and I talked about it last week. He says, I came to seek and save the lost. I didn't come so that the, the, those that feel good, I came for those that were hurting and dying that needed a doctor. What kind of church do you go to? What kind of Christian are you? Matthew 5, 16 says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Listen, if you ever want to know your purpose, I will tell you it this morning. It is to wake up every morning and say, Jesus, how can I live in your purpose for my life? How can I live so that the world sees you just a little bit today? I I, I may not be perfect. I may have flaws. I may screw up a bunch. Hello, welcome to the team. Um, But I want to wake up and part of my little, listen, I don't have these deep, long prayers in the morning. First of all, I'm not a morning person. I want to sleep as long as I can until I have to get up and go to work. So I'll pop my eyes open, and I'll sit there for the first five minutes, and I'll just say, God, use me today. Let my mouth not get ahead of me. Let my thoughts not be controlled by me, but let it be contained in your glory, and let my life be an example for you. Simple as that. Amen. And so we, 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 I want my light to shine so that others may see the good works that God has put in me, and it would glorify him and not me. I want to live my life to the fullest because I get one go around on this earth. And it doesn't matter what's parked in my parking, my garage. It doesn't matter what house I go to. It doesn't matter what clothes I wear. What matters is the impact I make for Jesus, plain and simple. I'm going to give you one more story and then I'm going to give you the last point. I know I'm full of stories, but that's kind of the point. To realize that these stories are impactful and your story is impactful. We have a, a young lady in our uh, youth group named Morgan, not this youth group, our youth group back in California. She started coming. Honestly, I can't even remember how she started to come. I'm sure it was invited by a friend. Uh, her family isn't uh, Christian in that sense. They didn't come to church, they didn't, any of that. And she got really passionate about God. She got really passionate about mission strips. And one of our uh, pastors that would come uh, was from Africa, and he, she ended up doing multiple, four trips in total to Africa, some of them at six months at a time. She got married to a young man uh, named Kingsley about a year and a half, two years ago, whose family was connected to missions trips in Slovenia, which, by the way, I had no clue where that was. You probably don't either. Um, it's over there. It's on the north, uh, northeastern end of Italy, Croatia, uh, that little whole little area over there. They're in their early 20s. They are moving to Slovenia. And in their mind, they're moving there for the rest of their life to preach and live the gospel. In a country that is 1% Christian, I want you just to wrap your head around that for a minute. That in this day and age, there's still places that are 1% Christian. Can I tell you there's places in America that are still 1% Christian? Portland, Oregon. (laughs) Portland, Oregon, by statistics, is 1% Christian. They are one of the most unreached people groups in America. And some of you are going, that's wild. That there's places in America that not only don't know Jesus, but actually flaunt the fact, they, they, they promote the fact and celebrate the fact that they don't know Jesus. Portland's uh, theme is keep Portland weird. If you've ever been to Portland, which most of you probably have not, it literally is that. Um, it's weird. Um, there's beautiful places in Portland. My, me and my wife got lost in a library that's like a whole city block wide and, and, and deep and three stories, and she loved it. I was like, can we go now? (laughs) 1%. Slovenia is a first-world country surrounded by a bunch of third-world countries, really, other than Italy, maybe. So they've got all the technology, they've got all that, and we were on FaceTime with them uh, just last week, uh, last Saturday, and talking about their, their trip and all that they She's pregnant, by the way, as well. So think about this. She's about to bring a baby in and then move them to a different country where 1% are Christian, and their call and their purpose and their plan is to reach people for Jesus, to give up the comforts and all of that, to say, God, my life is yours. Now, This is not to say if you're not doing that, you're not doing it. I think the problem is is that we think we have to do something like that for it to matter. But what is your 1% that you need to reach? Who's your people group? Who's the people that you come in contact with every day, day in and day out, that you, God has said, these are your mission field. These are your people. And every day you wake up and you just walk right by them and you never even say anything. There's people that are hurting and dying and, 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 and inside they're, they're, they're just struggling and they're waiting for people of hope and people of joy and people of peace to come alongside and say, I've got what you need. Come on. Let me show you what it looks like. Not perfect. I'm not holier than. I make my mistakes and, 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 and I will fess up to them. But I know a God that is greater than all. Um, by the way, she, uh, Morgan and her husband Kingsley will be the very first missions that, uh, missionaries that we support here at Freedom. We haven't quite figured out how much yet. Um, I want to fly them out before they come, but I'm not sure we can, uh, we're still working to see if we can afford to fly them out. I, w- I would love for them to come and set foot in our church, tell you their story um, before, we, before we financially give to them. Uh, but we're, we're still trying to work all that out. Um, so maybe uh, in April or May they may show up. They may not. We don't know yet, but we're going to give to them every month and support them, and they'll be our very first missions that freedom will be a part of. We will Listen, we will forever be a part of changing the 1% in Slovenia. How awesome is that? Because you may not get the call to go, but by financially pouring into this house, you financially pour into Slovenia and the growth of Christianity. By giving at this house, you are a part of watching ARC, uh, Association of Related Churches, which we are a part of, plant hundreds of churches all in America to reach the 1% in those communities. But that can't be good enough for us. To passively preach the gospel through just giving is not enough because we all have a story to live and we all have a life to live that shows the glory of God to the mission field of your life. So, we have to live our life for Christ. And the second thing that we are going to talk about this morning in about six minutes is to tell your story. It's not good enough to live it. I think one of the, the worst things that, that has been said to the modern day church is the quote that says, Witness always and speak if you must. No. What a, what a cop out sentence. Oh, pastor, I, I'm not good with my words. Okay, then fumble through telling people about who you are. I think here's the problem. And, 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 and let, me, let me read, first of all, um, Acts 1.8. We read this scripture a lot um, because I believe it is the foundation for the New Testament church uh, and what Christ has called us to. But you will receive power. This is not in question, this is a guarantee to every person that says that they choose to follow Jesus, to be an apprentice under Jesus, says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my what? In all of Jerusalem, which was their homeland, and all of Judea and Samaria, which were the uh, countries connected to them, okay? And remember, Samaritans were not well loved by Jewish people. So Jesus was saying, you are also going to be my witness to your enemy, Not just the people that like you in Judea and to the ends of the earth. What it means to be a witness is to tell people about what you have seen and experienced. It is not for Cole to tell my story. Cole can't run around going, man, oh, let me tell you about my pastor. He's got a wild story. Him and his wife, they moved from California. They're crazy nuts. They started a church that is, is, is different. And and, oh man, you got to come and meet them. They're like, okay, cool, whatever. But when the people that Cole knows starts, let me tell you how God changed my life. When And Cole shared about this on Thursday with the teenagers. When his friends call him and say, hey, let's go to the bonfire. And he goes, I know what that means. Nah. That's not who I am. He lives his story and tells his story. It impacts those around him because I will never be able to impact his friend group or his age group, but he has been called to his mission field. And you have been called to your mission field. And so you can't tell just everybody else's story. It's great to talk about uh, Perpetua and and, and Tony Campalo and the, the, the Kinsleys and Morgan Honeycuts, but what is your story? Because people in your world, they want to hear what God has done for you. This this thought really impacted me, which is this. I am not a salesperson. I'm a witness. For so long, the church has been trying to sell Jesus to a world that wants nothing to do with salespeople. Can I tell you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? See, when you think about what a witness does, they get on the stand and they, they talk about what they've seen and heard. What they've experienced. And when we talk about that in our natural life, it means that, that we do it in ways that is already engaging, not you know, just walking up to a coworker and saying, hey man, I just want to let you know, I went to church this Sunday, it was awesome, it was amazing, the worship was powerful, and you need Jesus, and walk away. <laughs> Awkward. I know Blake, I can, I can do that to him, but, um, but that's weird. And the, pro- the reason why we don't want to witness is because we envision it as a, a raid into somebody's bubble and we get in and we tell them about Jesus and we tell them about the ABCs of salvation. Do you want to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Let's pray, okay? I'm gone. Weird. <laughs> That's why so many of us are afraid to, to, to talk about Jesus because we think that we have to, like the army rangers, we're going and kicking doors down and we're telling them about and we're getting out as soon as we can. Right? I call it the SWAT team uh, ministry, right? We're just chicken doors down and let's go. And that's how we, env- how we view being a witness for Jesus. And so we're like, well, I'm out. I can't do that. I'm not good at speaking anyways, let alone, listen, I don't people well. I people well. Some of you don't. And so what you do is you blame your introvertedness or your peopling skills uh, as a reason to not tell people about Jesus, and it's because you have that mentality that you have to go on, and for some reason, you have the power of saving them, which you don't. And you think that getting them to the point where a prayer is the appropriate aspect, when really it's about walking them through life as a disciple. We have made the modern church's end goal of witnessing to get them to a the place where they say, I choose Jesus, pray Him, pray for him, and then walk away. Nowhere in the Bible do you see Jesus lead them in a salvation prayer. Show me one place in the Bible and I will recant that statement. It says, your faith has healed you. Your faith has, has, has done this for you. Now go and sin no more. And then he says, come and follow me. He doesn't say, here's the ABCs to salvation. Accept me. No, Jesus <laughs> never cared about acceptance. Believe, yes. The Bible does say believe. Confess. Yes, the Bible does say confess. And that's where we got the easy model of leading somebody in a prayer and then we just dropped them like a bad habit and discipleship, followership is what Jesus is after. Romans 10, 9 and 10, it's not in there. This is just a, a bonus scripture for you. That, that, you will, that, that you will believe in your heart And confess with your mouth. And that's where we get the the salvation prayer. Right? Romans 10, 9 and 10. Here's the thing about that. Belief in your heart has nothing to do with getting somebody to just say, I believe in Jesus. Belief in your heart takes time to establish something something that they're, they're mulling over and they go, yeah, this is in me now. I want this. And it doesn't come with confess first, believe second. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. Because if you confess with your mouth, but you don't believe in your heart, you will walk away from Jesus. And we've seen it time and time again, but we lead people through a path. And listen, this is, this is why it's messy church because messy church, it takes time. It's, Hey, uh, let's go have lunch. It may take six months of talking to them and, and walking them through life. And maybe not even mentioning Jesus's name all that often, except for here and there and, and, and building that relationship. But when you do, it'll be long standing because you didn't come in like the SWAT team and try to force Jesus upon them. You actually walked them through life. And they trust you, and they see Jesus. So I'm not a salesperson, I'm a witness. Revelations 12, 11 says this, and they have conquered him, who's him? Him's the enemy. By the blood of the lamb, which we have no control over, that's Jesus on the cross, resurrection from the dead, and now has power in heaven. And by the what? The word of your testimony. For they loved not their lives even to death. (laughs) It's all on Jesus. And by the word of their testimony. Jesus did his part. He died on the cross for your sins. He went to hell, death, and the grave for three days, snatched the keys from the, the enemy, did his part, rose from the dead, went to sit at the right hand of the Father, and now he says, hey, I'm waiting for you to tell your story tell your story of how I came into your life, how I, how I helped you walk through this tough time, how I helped you through anxiety, how I helped you through financial despair, how I, how, how I helped you through bad relationships, how I helped you through your, your bad mindset and your, your, your crazy uh, uh, life story or your addictions or this, how, how I, I did this because I am the power and I am the source of your life, and I want you to tell the world. And when you do that, you overcome the enemy because he now no longer holds power over your mind, your soul, and your belief system. It's not a sales pitch. It's not a turn and burn and passion plea, but it's a passing your story to another. It's Paul. I do not know much, but what I do know is this. And I, Yeah, I'm going to have to end soon. <laughs> Listen, I'm going I'm to give you a story about Paul, and then we're going to wrap it up. Acts 17, through 27. This is Paul, and I love Paul because he, he, he notices how to reach people where they're at. So Paul, standing in the midst of A- Areopagus, probably not how you say it, but whatever, said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. It's one of my favorite, favorite things that Paul does What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needs anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Paul walks through the culture of Athens and says, I see this little thing that you all have to the unknown God. Can we talk about this? I've learned this in in dealing with people and talking with people, um, get them to talk about themselves. Introvert or not, people love talking about what what they love. Hey, what do you like to do? Oh man, I like to fill in the blank. You may know nothing about it. Tell me more. You could have a full on conversation by just asking those tell me more. Oh really? That's really interesting. How's that work? And they just open up and they tell you all about it. And it's amazing that as they open up and you get to know them and you get to hear their story, then you're able to start. And and, and listen, this is where you attach the Holy Spirit into all of these conversations. Holy Spirit, give me the right words to say. Holy Spirit, give me the right things and give me the thought process to to, to show you in the midst of this. And then it's funny how God does that because he'll be like, oh, hey, right there, right there. Ask this question or make this statement. Yeah, this unknown God. Paul could have easily just walked right by it. Oh, another altar. No, the altar of the unknown. Let me tell you about the unknown God, guys. That unknown God, oh, he's known. And he's powerful. And he's loving. And he created you. Paul takes what is culturally relevant to them and he shows off Jesus in the midst of it. And he uses this word, I proclaim. In other words, I use my voice to tell you what I know and what God has done in my life. And this is how the church originally grew both in numbers and spiritually strong. This is how I believe God is going to use us as a church. It's not through just get them to Sunday. Oh, if, they, if you could just get them to church on Sunday. No, because most people are going to walk in and they're going, you're doing weird songs. These aren't my hymns. Bring back uh, oh the, the rugged cross and, and listen, no shame on hymns. I just, it's not me. It's not who I am. And, and so like, if we do it, just know I'm out of my comfort zone. Thank God for our team that can do them. What's well, this lights and, oh, what are we, a rock show with the haze? I've been told this many times, by the way, in Camden. So I know that when people walk into our church, it's not like this awe-inspiring moment. Oh, we finally have a church for us. That's what I wanted it to be. God works in mysterious ways. I thought, God, oh, they're going to eat it up. People are going to be like, finally, a, a modern church. Not in the South. They're like, oh, a modern church. Mm. They're very skeptical of us and our snakes. Um, if you're not there, you'll get there soon. I've been asked multiple times, Do you handle snakes? Not if my life depended on it. I'll handle them with a 12-gauge, maybe. If you see holes in our church, it's because one of two things. There's either spiders or snakes, okay? Um, so it, it's that reality that I know that, it, listen, what we do here, how we do it, it's not going to attract the masses by itself. It is your story telling your people, my life is changed because of him. And let me introduce you just to the family that I do it with. There are going to be things about this church that many people don't like, but you know what? They will never walk away from going, you know what? Jesus was there. They'll know that. Jesus did not permit, oh, I'm sorry. I do have to say this and then I, I, will, I, will, I will shut up and pray and let God do his thing. I have to read this, this, this set of scriptures because it blew me away when I read this. I've, I've read, this, read this story a hundred times. Mark 5, 18 through 20. This is the story right before this. This is the story of the, the, the wild demon-possessed man where Jesus cast out the lesion into the pigs. Okay, If you haven't read it, it's a crazy story. Um, and then the pigs go jumping off the cliff. Okay? Listen, this stuff is in the Bible. The man, uh, the, 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 the legion of uh, uh, demons leave his body. He becomes whole again. And this is, the, this is what happens directly after that. Verse 18 says, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged Jesus that he might be with him. But Jesus did not permit him but said to him, go home to your friends and what? Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy on you. And that man went away sad because he didn't get to be part of the end crowd. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. It's the only story in the New Testament that I have found where Jesus told them not to come and follow. Jesus did some crazy things, and he would push people not to follow him. He'd say crazy things, and they would walk away. But this is the only story I have read where somebody is begging Jesus, please let me be part of your group. Please let me come with you. And Jesus looks at him and says, no, because your story has to be told to the people that will hear it from you. And the guy didn't walk away sad. Well, pastor doesn't let me get on the mic. Well, I don't get to be part of the in crowd. First of all, there's no in crowd here. Just join a group. You'll be loved by anybody. He could have easily been like, oh, I know Peter. He's a loudmouth, foul person. Because he was. Why does he get to follow you, Jesus? But instead he hears Jesus's heart. I'm not going where you're going but you are and your story. Oh, it's going to change some lives. Hear me today. I'm not going where you're going. So if you're waiting for your pastor or you're waiting for church leadership to preach the gospel, where you are, you're missing the point. God has given you a story. Every single one of you have a story. Oh, but Pastor, my story isn't filled with addiction and and hurt. Okay, then tell people how God has protected you from that. And if your story is full of hurt and addiction, or or maybe uh, sexual abuse, or 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 maybe. Uh, a broken family home, or, or maybe it's just the fact that you lived a good life, but the reality is is you never found purpose until you walked in and felt Jesus speak to your life and for the first time in your, uh, your whole life, your whole world has come alive. You've seen it in black and white and now you see in color and Jesus is the reason. Go and tell your story in a real and unique way. Do not walk up to people and try to combat them with salvation and walk away. That's not what Jesus did. He got into the life, as we talked about last week, table fellowship, where he sat at the table and he had conversations with people and he built them up and then he called them to himself. That's who Jesus is. And that's the kind of church that we want to build here. We are going to end this series next week talking about invitation. And it I uh, saved that one, not on purpose, it really was a, a happenstance, but as we, Hannah, you can come up as we end, as we get ready for Easter. How many know that we need to sometimes put some practice into what we preach? <laughs> so this week, your practical application is maybe just find a, a, an avenue where you can sit down and talk life with somebody. It, it's not as scary as you think. Here, let me give you a good one go up to a coworker and say, what'd you do this weekend? I, the weather was great. I did yard work or I, you know, tinkered around the house or, you know, whatever. You know what the natural, normal human response to that is? What'd you do? You open the door to tell people about your life. Well, I did this and I did this. And you know, on Sunday, I I went to church. Mm. And it, honestly, it's been, it's been one of the most life-giving things that I could have ever experienced in my life. And you can even leave it at that. Leave it suspenseful. What kind of church do you go to? Let me tell you. <laughs> there's snakes. <laughs> no, there's not. Don't, do, don't tell them that. Let me tell you about it. The church is good, but man, what's really is is the relationship that I have with Jesus. The church is good, but what the church has done is it brought me to a stronger foundation of my faith. Tell your story. Stop looking at it as, as a crazy avenue where God wants to, you know, where we have to beat down the doors of hell. If you just have a relationship with people, you're going to snatch people from hell because the power of God is in you. Next week, we're going to talk about how Jesus invited people. And if it worked for Jesus, I'm just going to leave it at that. If it worked for Jesus, I think it's going to work for us. And what better way to start implementing it than right before Easter when people already are spiritually feeling like they need to do something in we may draw the hearts of men and women and say, hey, let me show you why my life is different. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask that you would fill us. We don't want to do this on our own. We don't want to conjure up emotion or conjure up things to make people do anything. God, we just we just want to live our life. Matter of fact, the Bible says that we should live it peacefully. some points you even say that we should live a uh, almost a quiet life not trying to stir the pot for the sake of stirring the pot but that we live our lives entwined with those that do not know you drawing them to the heart of the Father that God this week that we would be encouraged and challenged to live our lives in such a manner that it shows you to the world and that even those far from him would see that we serve a good God and it would draw them close to you give us the power to speak powerful life giving words God captivate our minds to think on you and your word and good relationships that we may grow your kingdom and that we would set the captives free so God, I pray that this week we find opportunity to do that. That we would build our faith and that we would speak of our story. We love you, Father. We thank you and give you glory and honor. I thank you for those that give faithfully to this church. Because of them, we're able to, yes, pay bills and, and to do those things, but also to minister the gospel, both locally and globally. We are so honored to partner with them as we partner with your kingdom give you glory and honor. In your name we pray. Amen.